everyone! Welcome to this episode of Grim Tales from the Garden State, the show where we follow the dark stories and twisted threads that have been woven in the great state of New Jersey. I'm your host, Mrs. B, and I just want to make an announcement before we get started with today's episode. I'm going to be dialing back my episodes from once a week to once every other week. Life has just gotten uh, really busy lately, and I want to make sure that I can maintain the quality of my episodes without sacrificing, you know, too much time for, like, you know, the other things in my life that I need to attend to. So, hope that's alright with you guys. Anyway, today's story is about Kashif Purves and Antoinette Stephen, two lovers in an illicit affair that ended with murder. This story is at the cross-section of master manipulation, deception, and the weight of familial obligation. An issue that could have had a clear way out was marred by cruel intentions and selfish gratification. But before we get started today, let's hear our terrifying tidbit. According to the Council on American-Islamic Relations, New Jersey chapter, over 100 cases of Islamophobic or anti-Muslim bias incidents occurred in 2022. But first we have to define Islamophobia. According to the UN.org, Islamophobia is described as fear, prejudice, and hatred of Muslims that leads to provocation, hostility, and intolerance by means of threatening, harassment, abuse, incitement, and intimidation of Muslims and non-Muslims, both in the online and offline world. Especially after 9-11 and the proximity and heavy interaction with New York City, Islamophobia in New Jersey exploded in the early 2000s. That, paired with crimes committed under the name of Islam and other situations, have caused many people to associate Islam with radical, violent, and oppressive ideals. From 2014 to 2019, there were over 10,000 anti-Muslim incidents, and within that number, over 1,000 of them were legit hate crimes. Jersey actually ranks in the top 10 states when it comes to anti-mosque violence. Islamophobia is a real and serious issue for Muslims, and even microaggressions can make their daily lives incredibly difficult. These facts are a big part of why this story disgusts me. Boonton is a cozy suburb in Morris County that nearly 9,000 people call home. It features a variety of restaurants, entertainment, and activities within its two and a half square miles, especially on Main Street. Over half the residents own their homes, and the median household income is about $85,000. There's not much crime to speak of in Boonton, so it's pretty much just your regular North Jersey suburb. Antoinette Stephen was born in 1984 in India. When she was a baby, she and her family moved to Massachusetts in a suburb of Boston. Her parents were Christian and strict and had high expectations for her behavior and her academic performance. Luckily for Antoinette, she performed very well in school and aspired to become an architect. Unfortunately, her parents couldn't afford to help Antoinette out with her college education, so she lived at home while working to afford her course load. Between working full-time and attending a competitive program at Harvard, Antoinette didn't have much time for hobbies, friends, and especially dating. Her family were the main people that she talked to. Not only was the social life not encouraged, but Antoinette was both shy and too busy to carry on anything extracurricular like that. Flipping over to Kashif Parvez, he was born in the U.S. to his parents who were Muslim Pakistani immigrants. Kashif was handsome, intelligent, and likable, so he was good at charming everyone around him. He lived a privileged life that was pretty much entirely planned out for him by his parents. They handed him his major in college, which was architecture, and where he would attend school. The only area of his life where Kashif would not allow his parents to interfere was his love life. He refused to go through with an arranged marriage. That wasn't really an issue for his parents because he chose the perfect woman in their eyes. His wife, Nazish Norani, was a beautiful, devout Muslim woman who was also Pakistani-American like Kashif. They married in 2005 when he was 20 and she was 21. Soon after, the couple had their first son, and then a few years later, they had their second son. The family was based in Brooklyn. 25-year-old Nazish was a stay-at-home mom, and 24-year-old Kashif was going to school for architecture while also working at a contracting business to support the family. One day, he came home from his architecture classes at Columbia and announced that he wanted to get his PhD from Harvard. 
but this would require him to be hours away from his family in New York. Although Nazish was saddened and would have to lean on her relatives and in-laws to get by, she supported her husband's dreams. Kashif moved to Boston by himself to pursue his degree, and then after he graduated, the family would decide whether or not they wanted to stay in Brooklyn or move to Boston. Kashif was lonely being so far away from his family and everything he knew, but in 2010, he met Antoinette Stephen. Because Antoinette was now 26, she felt it was finally time for her to have a boyfriend. She and Kashif had an immediate bond. They were both architecture students, they came from strict immigrant families from whom they felt a lot of pressure, and there was a lot of overlap between their cultures. The two began dating shortly after meeting and they were madly in love. Antoinette became obsessed with keeping Kashif happy with her. She would buy him gifts and totally love bomb him, and Kashif loved all the attention in the expensive gifts. What Antoinette didn't know was that Kashif had a wife and two kids back in Brooklyn. He either did a masterful job keeping his real life a secret, or Antoinette was too inexperienced in dating to pick up on the telltale signs that she was the other woman. As their relationship progressed, Kashif felt increasingly distant from Nazish. He returned home less and less, and the times that he did come home, he and Nazish would fight over everything. Kashif didn't feel like he had any other options than to lead a double life. His Muslim faith made divorce very challenging, and he didn't feel like handling the bad optics of getting a divorce. Plus, Antoinette was Indian and Christian, not Pakistani and Muslim, so he felt like he couldn't be with her honestly because his parents wouldn't accept her. So he figured cheating would align better with his religious values. All of this left Nazish pretty much abandoned at home in Brooklyn raising their two kids. The current setup was not working for her anymore. In summer of 2011, Nazish insisted that she and the kids move to Boston with Kashif to save their marriage. She was in the dark about the affair, but she knew the distance was putting way too much strain on their relationship. Kashif had to break it to Antoinette that his family was coming to live with him. He didn't want to lose his kids, so he and Antoinette broke up after carrying on a year-long affair. I imagine that Antoinette was entirely blindsided because I don't think she knew that Kashif was married. Apparently, this was exactly what the Parvez family needed because their lives greatly improved once they reunited. They were happy to spend Ramadan and Bhutan with Nazisha's family. Ramadan in 2011 fell on August 16th. What's normally a day filled with family, food, and celebrations was closed out in utter terror, confusion, and heartbreak. At 11.15 p.m., the Bhutan Police Department received a flurry of calls reporting six to eight gunshots ringing through a residential street. Officers quickly made their way to the scene to find a man lying on the ground who had multiple bullet wounds in him, but he was alive. That man was Kashif Parvez. He weakly pointed a few yards away, where police rushed over to a stroller carrying a small child and a woman collapsed next to it. The child sustained no injuries, but the woman had been shot three times in her chest through her heart, so she was dead. This was Nazish and the Parvez's younger son who was only three years old. Because of the way Nazisha's body fell, she was preventing the stroller from rolling down a steep hill, which most certainly would have killed the child. Even after death, she was still protecting her son. Kashif, Nazish, and their son had been taking an evening walk after dinner when everything went down. They were going from her sister's house to her father's house, which was only two blocks away. Allegedly, three masked men appeared and just started shooting at them. Before Kashif could comprehend the situation that was unfolding around him, his family was getting bombarded by gunfire. He said only two of the three men had guns. Two of them were black, one of which was kind of heavy set, and a white guy who had a t-shirt or like a, like a scarf over his face. These were very specific details. After an ambulance raced over to the local hospital, police discovered shell casings from two weapons, a 38 caliber and a 9mm, which confirmed Kashif's claim that there were two guns used during the crime. Everyone the police questioned had indeed heard the shots, but no one saw the perpetrator's faces or even a shooter at all. They were all inside their houses, presumably asleep beforehand, and by the time they looked outside, all they saw were two people on the ground. 
On his way to the crime scene, one of the responding officers saw something that was kinda off. A blue Toyota Camry was speeding past him in the other direction with their headlights out. Why are you driving quickly at 11pm away from a crime scene with your lights out? Because everyone thought that was sus, detectives agreed that they needed to investigate and identify the vehicle. They turned to traffic cameras which allowed them to identify the Camry by its license plate. They found out that the vehicle was registered to someone in a Boston suburb called Valerica. Back at the hospital, police learned that Kashif was in stable condition, so they went to question him. His recollection of the event had slightly changed. Now it was three black guys instead of two black guys and one white guy. They had allegedly shouted, kill the terrorists, before they began shooting, so investigators had to add on the extra element of this being a potential hate crime. However, hate crimes weren't common for the area, so police began to think that maybe this was a more personal rather than ideological attack. They asked Kashif if he had gotten any threatening messages in the past, but he said he hadn't received anything of that nature and couldn't think of anyone that would try to harm his family. He was appearing as baffled as the police, but when they asked to see his phone records, he just straight up said no. Like, dude, your wife just got murdered, you just got shot, and your child narrowly avoided instant death. Why would you withhold any ounce of information? The cops weren't phased by his refusal and got access to his phone anyway. He blurted out that he had a girlfriend because he knew the text would expose him. Turns out he had never broken up with Antoinette and was still carrying on the relationship on the down low. This admission opened the floodgates to further details about the Parvez family. He referred to his recently deceased wife as being not a good mother, greedy, and materialistic. She allegedly would buy things that they didn't need that were way outside their budget, which enraged Kashif. Police were shocked about how cold he was about his wife of six years who had just been brutally murdered. He was openly bitter and spewed a lot of vitriol. Investigators were becoming skeptical of the original story that Kashif had told them. Luckily for them, Kashif immediately began spilling everything. He was saying, this was an accident, it was never meant to happen, and that the whole situation was a conspiracy gone wrong. What was happening here? Was this man in on his wife's murder and his own injury? The plot began with a conversation between Kashif and some mysterious guy named Nomi Toe. He knew Nomi was a truck driver from Queens who had randomly started talking to him at a diner in Brooklyn. Kashif wanted someone to confide in, so he told the guy about his affair and how his wife was the only thing standing between him and truly being with Antoinette. Nomi told Kashif that if he and his girlfriend wanted to be together, Nazish would have to die. No other way around it. Nomi's plan was to ambush the couple, wound Kashif, then kill Nazish to confuse the police. The police would never suspect Kashif if he were shot too. But Kashif didn't even know Nomi's real name. Nomi Toe was the name of the towing company he worked for, so that was basically just an alias. He didn't know where police could find him either. All he knew was that he met Nomi at a deli in Brooklyn, but like, how many delis are in Brooklyn? And did he just wander into a random deli that day? Investigators then went to interview Nazisha's family, the Noranis. Her sister and brother weren't surprised that Kashif was involved. They knew Kashif to be a manipulative liar and that he wasn't happy in the marriage. It was obvious to everyone that he was physically and verbally abusive, and Nazish was beginning to fear for her life. She told her family that if she went missing or was found dead, Kashif was responsible. The authorities investigated Kashif's life story even deeper. They discovered that he was actually a terrible student and was an even bigger liar than they had originally suspected. He had never attended Columbia or Harvard. He was never enrolled in any architecture program. He just faked going to class to keep up appearances. This is troubling because what was he actually doing when he said he went to class at Columbia? And how was he able to pretend he was an architecture student with an actual architecture student at Harvard? I hate the idea of him just lurking around the halls at colleges pretending like he belonged there. Police began to wonder, was Nomito even real? Was he yet another red herring to throw them off Kashif's trail? 
These questions were almost immediately answered when they went through Kashif's texts. They found conversations between him and Antoinette in the days leading up to the murder saying things like, Are you ready? Where are you? Freedom is just around your corner. There were no texts with a Nomi toe. Then it comes to light that Antoinette wasn't in her home state of Massachusetts during the time of the murder. She was miles away in Booton, New Jersey. The Booton police traveled up to Balerica to the address where the car was registered. Police knocked on the door and Antoinette answered. She was shocked and acted like she didn't know why New Jersey police were at her parents' home. She let them know that the car in the driveway was her father's. Police brought Antoinette to a local police station to question her. They asked her about her relationship with Kashif and she confirmed the affair. She denied knowing anything about Nazisha's murder when she was questioned about it. The cops obtained a search warrant for Antoinette's parents' home and found guns in a purple box in a suitcase among a pile of clothes. These guns matched the caliber of ammunition that was found at the scene. In addition, video evidence showed Kashif and Antoinette going to a gun rage two weeks before the murder. Antoinette was clearly practicing for the big show. Worse, she was standing in the exact same position that would have matched the bullet trajectories measured from the crime scene. Police were now certain that Nomito was not real and that Kashif had organized his wife's murder with his girlfriend. They even considered the scenario of Kashif murdering Nazish, then shooting himself in the foot to cast away suspicion from himself. Investigators figured that Antoinette had driven down to Booton to grab and conceal the weapons used in the crime. They arrested her and charged her with murder, conspiracy, weapons charges, and endangering the welfare of a child, with Kashif catching the same charges as well as hindering apprehension or prosecution. Antoinette ended up confessing and telling the police the whole story. She admitted that she was involved, but that she had a relatively clear conscience. Not only was Nazish presented as the only obstacle between Kashif and Antoinette and a legitimate relationship, but Kashif had also presented her as an abusive, neglectful mother. He told Antoinette that their older son had sickle cell anemia, and for whatever reason, Nazish was against his getting treatment. Antoinette was utterly disgusted with Kashif's wife. I'm not sure when in the timeline this information was divulged, but it colored Antoinette's perception of Nazish, even more than just the person keeping her from the love of her life. Anyway, in an attempt to help the son's medical issues, Antoinette gave Kashif all of her tuition savings to pay for the treatment. She was already gearing up to take Nazish's place as the caring stepmother. At this point, she figured Kashif was a level-headed man with morals, so when he approached her with the murder proposition, Antoinette didn't give it a second thought. This was the perfect solution. In her mind, she and Kashif could be together and his son could get the treatment that he needed. Kashif had told her that he and Nazish were already separated, so this would be the final step to solidify the relationship. Then came August 16th, 2011. Antoinette was hiding in her vehicle in a driveway on the street where Kashif told her he and his wife would be walking that night. Finally, she spotted the two around 11 p.m., but there was one problem. Antoinette hadn't anticipated that their three-year-old son would be with them. When she and Kashif were planning this whole thing, he wasn't supposed to be there. But no matter. Antoinette figured that they might not get another chance like this, so she took it. She popped out of her car, walked into the street, shot Nazish three times, then shot Kashif twice. She then immediately jumped in her car and sped home to hide the guns. As if this case couldn't get any worse, police confirmed that the Pervez's son did not have sickle cell anemia. In fact, he was actually a very healthy child and had no conditions at all. To anyone that knew the family, Nazish was an involved, attentive mother. Kashif painted this villainous picture of Nazish to demonize her and make her out to be this, like, adversarial figure to Antoinette. How else was he going to persuade his girlfriend to murder his wife besides puppeteering the whole situation? Shortly before the trial began, investigators learned that Kashif was planning to hire a hitman to kill other members of the Narani family that could have been reasonable options to receive custody of the children. He didn't want anyone from Nazish's family taking the kids, so after making bail, he intended to kidnap his children and flee to Pakistan. 
I'm not sure how valuable this plan would have been had he been able to pull it off, because he never lived in Pakistan. Maybe he'd find family over there and spin another thread as to why he showed up single with two kids. Were his parents in on this? Also, this is a perfect example of how he was totally willing to abandon Antoinette as she faced her fate. Kashif's bail was originally set at $1 million, but when investigators caught wind of his hitman escape plot, the bail was increased to $3 million. Antoinette's bail was $5 million since she was the actual shooter. During the trial, the prosecution went over all the things we've talked about thus far in this episode, but they also unearthed something kind of crazy from Kashif's past. Starting in 2009, he would write emails to black magic companies, I had no idea these existed, asking if they could do something to make his wife disappear. The methods would range from voodoo spells where she would be poisoned to spells that would make her commit suicide. And what's funny, in a very, very dark way, is that this man lambasted Nazish for overspending or spending money on things that they didn't need when he had spent thousands of dollars trying to make this woman go away using magic. All Kashif's defense could argue was that Antoinette had acted alone and that she was purely a jealous lover who just went off the rails. There was no plan, and if there was, Kashif wasn't involved. Nazisha's brother, Kaleem Narani, yelled at an emotionless Kashif, You are a failure as a husband, father, son, as a human being, and above all, you are an evil murderer. The jury ended up agreeing with Kaleem, and on February 26, 2015, they sent back a unanimous verdict that Kashif Parvez was guilty on all counts and handed a life sentence. The defense tried to get Kashif's sentence less than 30 years, but the prosecutor, Matthew Troiano, wasn't having it. He called Kashif a coward and said, he put that little boy into direct harm's way. After your wife is shot, you do nothing. You don't run to her, you run away. Regardless of anything else that happened, that's probably the most disturbing part about this case. Kashif has to serve 73 years before he's eligible for parole, but he would be about 102 by that point, so we can rest assured that he'll die in prison. A few months later, Antoinette had her trial. She apologized to the Noranis, but again, Nazisha's brother wasn't having it. He cried, Antoinette, you murdered my best friend. How dare you murder her and then say you are sorry? Who gave you the right to be judge, jury, and executioner? Antoinette admitted her guilt and on June 5th, 2015, was sentenced to 30 years in prison without the possibility of for parole. She'll be 59 years old when she's released. Kaleem said that even if Antoinette got a life sentence, it was the Parvez's two young sons, whose mother is now dead and whose father is going to prison for life, who were really receiving the maximum punishment. Like I mentioned in the terrifying tidbit, Islamophobia looms over many Muslim people's heads on a daily basis. It's a reality that many have to think about, and it's something that I imagine Kashif and Nazisha's families dealt with at least once. Kashif minimized and trivialized these fears by using a believable motive of gunning down an innocent family. He lied about an experience that many have nightmares about just so he could run off with his mistress. Hate crimes are already looked at skeptically, and anytime a false report is made, that skepticism grows and support is more readily withdrawn. That harms everybody. Part of the story reminds me of Sherry Papini in a somewhat abstract way. The Carly Russell case also makes me think of Sherry Papini, but that happened in Alabama, so that's, <laughs> that's a while outside of my wheelhouse. Anyway, when Sherry was kidnapped, she claimed a couple of Hispanic women kidnapped her, so the police proceeded to tear apart local Hispanic neighborhoods looking for these alleged captors. If the Boone police hadn't learned within hours that there weren't three Islamophobic black guys killing people in a largely South Asian American area, that could have caused some problems for some innocent black men who lived nearby. 
It's already incredibly irresponsible to make up fake suspects, but even worse when you choose profiles of people who are already more likely to have bad interactions with police. I guess he pieced together likely motive and likely suspects, so to recap, it's terrible to lie about being a victim of a hate crime that remains a legitimate fear for anyone from a marginalized community, but he also pointed the finger at another disenfranchised group to save his own ass, and that's really dark. On another note, I have no doubts that a big part of Antoinette's allure to Kashif was the danger of it. She was his mistress, she was Indian and Christian, and all she wanted to do was please him. He got to live this illicit life that had no negative impact on his reputation in his community. Some sources even say that Kashif was seeing several other women as well. Imagine being the side chick, going to prison for a guy, and then learning you were just one of many side chicks and of course you were the one he decided to make the murder plot with. Kashif didn't care who he dragged down with him, he only cared about getting what he wanted with the least amount of consequences and work. I do believe that if the whole plot panned out, you know, Nazish was killed and the police went on this wild goose chase trying to find the three suspects until the case went cold, that Antoinette would have been victimized in one way or another once the novelty wore off. All Kashif did was lie. He lied about his schooling, his relationships, his children's health, and the plot to kill Nazish. He was used to being in everyone's good graces and would rather kill his wife than divorce. This isn't even the first story we've done where faith or optics make people feel like they can get away with murder, but not a divorce. I think this is probably like, like the third one. Now, I don't come from a strict culture or community, so maybe I just don't understand the pressure around who you get married to and staying married. But what I do know for sure is that murder is rarely ever more acceptable than parting ways with someone who makes you miserable. What will alienate you more from your family and friends? Getting divorced or spending the rest of your life in prison? Come on now. You already clearly don't care about family values since you're willing to murder for a mistress, so you might as well just separate so you don't have to spend the rest of your life in an actual prison. Nazish didn't deserve to die, and the Barbet's children did not deserve to be without a mother just because their father was a weakling. But that's going to be it for me today, guys. I appreciate you all for tuning in every time I upload. It really encourages me to keep on researching and writing these episodes because you guys find this stuff as cool as I do. But don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast. I will see you all next time. Goodbye!